0: Welcome everyone to Trek FM's Local Watering Hole. We got a great supplemental for you this week. I'm excited to be back to talk a little bit of Star Wars. It's been a long time. I mean, The Force Awakens came out and everybody thought, "Ah, eh, we don't have any more Star Wars to talk about." But uh we actually do, and I'm excited to be joined by two of my just two of my favorite people out there. Um Bruce Gibson, it is good to have you back here in the 602 club. And we're thinking it could this is your first supplemental,
2: I think so. I don't know what that means though. does that mean that I get like extra drinks from Ruby?
0: actually, it does uh, uh during supplemental special lapel pin, yeah, they're free, so yeah, and we <laughs> we do have the lapel pin that's uh just for supplemental hosts, so i'm I'm really excited that you're here. I
2: think these episodes should be called the Six o two club after hours.
0: <laughs> that's actually i like not that bad i really like that, that. Yeah. well uh i uh, yeah he's <laughs> out he's like george costanza thanks for having um, me
1: yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> john
0: great to have you back of course uh to talk a little bit of of, of star wars here
1: i'm thrilled to be back I, th- this, I think this is my first time back in the 602 in a while so uh I uh I got to work on my uh groove in the chair here. So yeah. I'm yeah.
0: Well, I am I'm glad you're back. Actually, it's funny you mentioned the groove in the chair cuz Ruby's just been keeping that chair and she's had a, you know, a signed seat, you know. It says John Mills <laughs> do not touch. So, hopefully you're you're right back in where you you left it.
1: Uh, it's comfortable. Uh it's just like a glove. <laughs>
0: Well, before we do hit anything else, just a quick reminder that uh, the 602 Club is part of the Trek FM network, and you can find us on iTunes.com slash Trek FM, where we are a feature provider. We have so many different podcasts covering all different aspects of Star Trek and, of course, beyond with the 602 Club and the 602 Club special feed for Star Wars. Make sure you check us out, and, of course... Give us a star rating and review on any of our shows, but specifically the 602 Club and the 602 Club Star Wars feed. We'd really appreciate that. You can also find us online at trek.fm. You can contact us. Go to trek.fm slash contact. Just choose a show, the 602 Club. That'll come right to us. You can find us on Twitter at TrekFM. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. And both of these guys, along with me, are in the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group on Facebook. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook. We'll let you in, and you can have a great discussion about all the things we're talking about from all of our shows on TrekFM there on the Babel Conference. And, of course, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, go to SpeedPipe.com slash TrekFM. Now, guys, it is kind of strange because if you look at the news out there about Star Wars, most of it right now is about things that are coming with Episode Eight. But we actually have another film coming out called Rogue One, a
1: Star Wars story, in December. Yeah, yeah, it's uh the the flood of info has definitely been leaning toward Episode Eight more than than Rogue One. I actually, yeah, I'm glad you said something. I I I noticed that the other day where I was kind of like why haven't like why why haven't we heard more by this point at least gotten like a teaser trailer or something?
0: It's weird that we haven't gotten a teaser at all like i i'm I'm wondering if you know we've got Batman v Superman coming up in the theaters and Marvel Civil War soon and I'm wondering if one of those films will have a you know a thirty second teaser for Rogue One attached to it just to be like, hey, we're coming, remember
2: yeah, I think may I think may will see that with the uh Captain America film.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I hope so. I, I'd, I'd love to see something from it. I mean, more than just the, you know, the, the pirated trailer we got from Celebration, what, two years back now? So, I mean, and that is literally nothing. It's It's just something that they put together at ILM real quick that is, what, 20 seconds long? So...
1: Yeah, it's nothing substantial, for sure. No,
0: it's really not. But I'm excited because uh, as we're talking about this idea of Rogue One coming out in December, as all the things were coming out for Episode 7, there was a book that came out along with the video game Battlefront. And Battlefront Twilight, the book, was released. And we didn't get an opportunity to talk about it then because we had too much else to talk about but I'm so glad that we didn't, honestly, because I feel like this book fits so much more within the milieu that we're going to get with Rogue One than it would have with, yeah. you know, talking about Episode 7. And that's because this book is is very gritty. It feels very dark, and it's very real in the sense of the the look at war that we get. And I kind of wanted to ask you guys... As we're looking towards Rogue One and we've read this book, how do you feel like this kind of fits in Star Wars? It has a title, Star Wars, on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, smartass. No. <laughs> um,
2: how does it fit into Star Wars? You know, it, it, here, here's my concern with Rogue One, and this book, I guess, kind of plays to that. This was, I guess my question for myself is, did this feel like a war book that takes place in the Star Wars universe, or did it feel like a Star Wars book that happens to be a war story? And as I ask myself this question and think about it at this very moment, I'm thinking that it felt like it did feel like a Star Wars book to me. It didn't have anything to do with the force. It had a darker, grittier tone to it, but it showed us all these aspects of things that are going on in the Star Wars universe that are parallel to the things that we're seeing in the movies. So we're looking behind the curtains of that background area of this war that's happening between rebels and empire. And it was so fascinating and so enlightening for me to look at it from a perspective I haven't really thought that much about. So... It felt Star Wars to me. Yeah,
1: I I agree. Uh, It's sort of it's I think that it's definitely been lost. It was lost in the shuffle. It's unfortunate that it got released during the run up to uh, episode seven. But I think that since it was supposed to be tied in with the the video game, they had I I guess they had felt they had no other choice but to release it, you know, at, at the time that the game came out. But I think that uh in the process, a very quality book has been lost and i and I agree with you, Bruce. It feels like a Star Wars book, not just because you know they're they're saying blasters and star destroyers and and Carillion Corvette and stuff like that um or that a Besilisk is in it, but the fact that it it deals very much with stuff that we have have gotten a glimpse at before that but it rounds out. I guess it it fills that gap when the expanded universe got wiped out, when Disney, you know, created it as the legends line and said, we're going to take another crack at it. Basically this feels like that sort of expanded universe rounding out of the world. You only glimpse on the edges. But what I also found very interesting about this is I felt there were a lot of pieces that spoke to, um, what we saw in episode seven. Um, up to and including uh, like one of the main villains in it speaks to like actually the, the two main Imperials on the star destroyer through this book speak to sort of the old guard empire versus what's going to become the first order empire. Like that that insanely devoted blind, you know, devotion to the ideal of the empire um, that you see in Prelate verge, I think actually helped inform more about Kylo Ren and um and general hux yeah, for me hux, for sure. than anything else well that's
2: interesting too because this is the only book that came out after force friday that doesn't say journey to the force awakens yet you made a connection to mm-hmm. the new movie from this book
0: well and i think one of the things that was really cool about this book and it and it felt like it, it, akin closest to lost stars for me without the romance story in that you know where lost stars really gave us the background of what it was like to be in the empire this gave us a look at what it's like to be in the rebellion but not at the upper upper echelon like we're always looking at you know we're always watching Leia and Han and Luke and they're at the very top the pinnacle of the rebellion but what does it look like for the just the normal soldier who joins up and what does that rebellion actually look like that just isn't in that tiny little group in the sense that it had to be bigger you know i mean obviously you know not all of the rebellion could have been on hoth in the first place that would have been silly to put it all in one place we we see how big and vast the the network is that the rebellion has but also the i mean this is like guerrilla warfare across star systems and it's it's really interesting you and and almost like these i hate to say it but it's it's kind of almost like terrorist groups and cells where they don't completely all connect but they're subtly connected and just the way it all works it it really gives you a feel for the lower decks
1: of the rebellion i like that i what i'd like to sort of speak to is one of the points you sort of touched on about how you're seeing the rebellion not from the upper echelon is one of the things that i actually liked was that you find out that the grunts no matter how dedicated they are to the cause the upper echelon feels disconnected to them uh, which I, you know, like they're always like, what what are what are they thinking? Where are they? What's going like there? Because there's a point in the book where they have no idea whether the, the high command even exists anymore. And they're like, well, what do we do? And it's like, well, we just keep going until we stop or we find out they're still alive. Um, and that ties into, I think that one of the things I picked up on in the book, maybe I, I forced it in there, but one of the things I've not enjoyed is this sort of revisiting the rebels as terrorists as we would understand them in the modern day. Um, like, every revolutionary force, in a sense, starts off in sort of a guerrilla warfare, more disjointed, you know, independent cells sort of operating things, so that if one cell gets destroyed, the other doesn't, you know, the whole thing doesn't come crashing down, but through the the course of the book, I don't know whether this was, this was intentional or not, but even Twilight Company felt sort of um, disparate, Uh, In the beginning of the book, and it showed how when everybody came together and started working together and as a unified force, that's what gave people hope instead of these little cells that would, you know, spring up on Sullust or Twilight doing their hit and fades when they took a stand and they operated like a real full unit, like a, a military battle is when it when things started to turn when they learned to work together as a cohesive unit.
0: It really begins to feel like, especially as the book moves on. You know, I, I I don't know if either of you have read and or seen Band of Brothers, but it reminds me so much of that story, and th- this you know for here it's this band of beings because, <laughs> um you know we have all of these different beings throughout the galaxy, basilisks you know sol uh. I think it's Sullustans. I don't know. Yeah, Sullustans. I mean, you have all these different beings that are coming together to form this rebellion. And they're they're all trying to find a way to work together. And they all have different reasons for being part of it. And, you know, like you said, John, it, it, it really is an interesting story of going from a more incohesive kind of, Loosely structured mess, the rebellion to being something that becomes more fully formed as you go on. Especially as we're just looking specifically here at the Twilight Company, and I really I, I like that. It, it and what it is interesting is it does feel Star Wars. It just feels like a different side of it than we've ever seen, and yeah, it is. It's a little bit more realistic. Too, uh, in in that sense as well, you know, um, and I I'm excited to have read this book and then look forward towards Rogue One because I, I'm like okay Rogue One that's that's a really cool idea now that this I can really see it working because I've read this book and you know if you're, you're having any thoughts about Rogue One about whether it might work I definitely recommend reading Battlefront Twilight Company to get an idea I think of what that's going to be like especially since. That seems to follow a, a smaller company that's going to be trying to, we, as we know, steal the Death Star plans. So. Well,
2: it's like the Twilight Company is coming together as the book progresses because our, our main character here, is it Namar? Namir?
0: Namir. I think Namir.
1: I, I was saying Namir. 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 Hasram Namir. Namir. For yes. our French audience, <laughs> Namir.
0: That's right. <laughs> uh, and he's not a Twi'lek, so, I mean, no. there's no French accent there. Well,
1: I, you know, I, honestly, for the first quarter of the book, I kept uh, in my brain pronouncing it Namor, the Submariner, Oh, nice. The, the comic book. <laughs> so. But I'm sorry, Bruce, so you, yeah, you were so saying? I'm so to reading books and not actually having to
2: say the names out loud that it's awkward when I'm sure. about to do that. But, you know, he's told by a certain captain on Hoth that he needs to believe in what he's doing. And it wasn't until later that he starts to realize that he can't he can't bond the group. He can't win himself if he doesn't believe in what he's doing, or he should just walk away. And so I think that helps to bond the group, that once he becomes the leader, he starts to believe in the cause. He starts to believe in his group, and he starts to take a leadership role. And so that leadership role brings the group back together after its original captain had passed away.
0: Well, and, and that's uh, I mean— that's a great segue into one of the biggest themes of the book, Bruce, about, you know, why we fight, why these people are doing this, why they're part of the rebellion. And uh, there it was really interesting to see all the different reasons for which people join the rebellion and, and why they're fighting against the Empire. And some of those people just want revenge. You know, some of those people believe in the cause. Some of the people just kind of want to spit in evil's eye, you know, but... That whole question of it is, what reason is going to sustain us throughout the entire rebellion and actually have something worth giving afterwards was a really interesting question because, you know, it's the most important question of a revolution. You know, is it have sustainability after, you know, the fighting is over? Does it have anything to offer?
1: Uh, Yeah, you're right. And I I think that I actually, there were a number of quotes in this book that I'm going to say right now, this is a particularly well-written book, especially for a Star Wars tie-in book, because there were several points uh, where I made note of specific lines or quotes from characters. And what you're saying about revenge, Matthew, um, what I had written down, what I made note of was... um, One of the characters says at one point, revenge is a fuel that burns too swiftly. And there are so many little nuggets of wisdom. That to me, Bruce, is what makes it feel like a Star Wars book is that you have the wise characters because that's always sort of been the hallmark in a Star Wars book. Whether it's Yoda or Maz Kanata or Obi-Wan Kenobi or Qui-Gon Jinn, somebody has little nuggets of wisdom that they drop on you through the story. And I think that this book does a great job of that. And then having it applicable to characters that you see, um, you know, within the context of the story. And what I found interesting, and I I don't know whether this is, again, something the author intended or whether it's just a question that lingers because of everything that's happened in sort of, uh, you know, history on Earth in the last little while, is that uh, Captain Howell, uh, you know, the, the original leader of Twilight Company, he almost seems to be on to borrow a term that's that's popular on earth nowadays a nation building approach to the rebellion where he talks about winning hearts and minds and we're going to go in and we're not going to win military campaigns we're going to go in and we're going to change people's thoughts about what they can do and what they should do and that's how we're going to win this and so while our main character struggles with the thought of how, do, how does this survive afterward? I think that, that Captain Howell, his idea is you know, and I'll be interested to see whether this also ties into everything that goes wrong after Return of the Jedi. His idea is it's not just enough to militarily crush the empire. We have to make everybody believe that this is the galaxy that they want, that they're going to be better off with the Empire gone, and that's when we win.
0: Well, that reminded me so much of the storyline that we got in the Clone Wars of the Onderon arc, where, you know, the Jedi are there to teach them how to be their own rebellion. And, you know, Dave Filoni uh, talked about how that was kind of a very early seed for what would lead to the rebellion. Obviously, people like that, um, people like uh, Chan Som Dula, uh, these are the kind of people that were inspired by the Jedi unbeknowingly to be the people who would kind of inspire the rebellion down the line, and it's because they did believe in something bigger. and And that is a really interesting question because, what the, the where are you going to end up after this this fighting is over you know they talk about that idea of um you know even the Coruscant and how big it is and you you can't you can't there's billions of people there and so you you need to win them over more than just shoot them you know there has to be something that they believe in that's better than the empire um and that there is a better way and that that's a really I, like you said, John, as we look at just our current history and that idea, it's it's quite an interesting thing. But, I mean, even looking back, at just think about the American Revolution. It, people had to be convinced that they were going to be better off under free rule creating a new country than they were going to be being betrothed still to, to Britain. And so... Uh, That is always part of any kind of revolution and whether or not it's truly successful. I think it's one of the distinguishing factors of why the French Revolution is not as successful as the American Revolution. There's something about the American Revolution that made it stick in the hearts and minds of the people to actually create something better afterwards, whereas the French Revolution doesn't necessarily lead to that same kind of success.
1: Well, I mean the the French Revolution to speak to the revenge label, there was a lot of revenge afterwards. That is very um, true, yes. Tale Tale of Two Cities. If anybody hasn't read it, uh Dickens has a heck of a commentary on everything that went wrong after the French Revolution. Great book. Too. Um Yeah. Uh I, you know, and hey, if you have a best friend that might die in a radiation chamber, you should give it to them. Um, but that's a Star Trek two reference in case anybody thought I was being callous. Oh, I got it. Um I thought it was yeah, into darkness. darkness. Just, just saying. <laughs> all right you know what thank you yes you're right i should have gone with the more recent reference you're absolutely right oh uh, awesome. now i'm derailed oh sorry thanks, about Bruce. that no 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 uh you know but the, but the thing is with, with the why we fight thing then you see again to call back to um prelate verge is there's no way the rebellion is going to win the heart or mind of somebody like prelate verge and you can see how the rebellion can win against uh Tabor and I don't know how, I how to pronounce his last name so I'm not going to try but uh the the captain that's brought off of Carada to uh captain the uh, the the star destroyer that Prelate verge is on
0: Tabor Ver, and
1: he has huh is I'm sorry is Tabor is that the one you're referencing yeah Tabor yep. but he has a last name that yeah I'm not, I'm not even going to try for that yeah. I'm not even going to try but but he realizes at one point that Prelate Verge is so devoted, you know, and and I think it ties into that why we fight. Verge is, devoted ver- to you, but Verge is fighting for uh, the emperor. Like it's mm, it's literally yeah. a religious zeal for him, and that's why I think giving him the title of Prelate is so interesting because that's traditionally a religious title, um, and so so like Prelate Verge. Is speaks to that insurmountability that the the rebellion is going to face post post Jedi. I mean, so you know, again, I think it just gets right back to that whole that whole thing of like, it's a shame that this got lost in the shuffle, and because this happens every time we talk about a an expanded universe book after um, aftermaths release, I want to know why a video game tie in book has so much more to work with and is so much more satisfying to me than the flagship book Aftermath was. Like, this is just yet another thing where I'm kind of, like, flabbergasted that, I mean, this would have served as a book I would have accepted on Force Friday as a book that was necessary to read on the journey to The Force Awakens. Lost Stars would have been. Like, this is in that same category. I I don't understand. I mean, did you guys get the same, like weighing this against aftermath like it's just it's almost like they just didn't know what storyline was going to resonate more i mean to me at least I, I just wanted to get your guys take on that
0: i on i mean and i'll i'll be honest i think what it is it feels like with aftermath that they're so worried about not giving anything away that they don't allow for the creation of a story that is important or expansive as something like Lost stars or This Year, because they're afraid of giving anything about that post Return of the Jedi, uh, you know, milieu away before the film comes out. You know, I feel like if you had had the ability to write aftermath after The Force Awakens and you already have where everything is, that book would be totally different. Um, e- even think about this, John, we talked about Before the Awakening and how that really helped expand the universe of Before the Force Awakens to really give us a picture of what the galaxy is like, what the political ramifications are, what the First Order's like, uh, and what Ray's life looks like. Not in a, Not in a way that spoiled the film, it just expanded the universe the way it's supposed to but they were but that book doesn't get to come out until after you know the movie or the actually the day the movie comes out so it's just it felt like they're so afraid that something might tip them off and what's funny is that even even aftermath tipped me off to know exactly where they were going with the resistance, about why Leia I, was going to be where she was, what the resistance was going to be. Sure. I, it's like, but if the if the story had just been all about that stuff instead of about, you know, this kind of weird, I don't, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's just, they're so I, afraid I they, they put the reins on a guy and it seems like those reins are off now.
1: Okay, but there's, there's almost, okay, there, there's a flip side, I guess, to the question of was there a need even to brand this as a Star Wars Battlefront book I I don't think there was I think you could have actually because this did get lost in the marketing lead up you could have sat on this book and instead marketed released it now and marketed it as a Rogue One tie-in the This is setting up the One. galaxy for Rogue One yeah. yeah So what like I you know I, I I guess you know that's the bigger misfire then Is that, I mean, to me at least, is that this should have been released now because I didn't get to it back then because I was trying to read everything that was leading up to The Force Awakens. And so this seems like that dead period. Where they should have they should have released this because this would have at least held us over, especially since life debt and bloodline have been delayed.
2: Well, because it was all tied to a video game, and we weren't thinking of it as a book leading to the Force Awakens. And John, as you mentioned earlier, you got aspects of it out out of this book that did remind you of things that led to the Force Awakens. And and you know there was a line in the book uh, talking about when war is over. What happens to the troops? All of a sudden, there are factions that begin to happen once you win, which made me start to think about, well, when the Rebellion wins and becomes the new Republic, what factions took place between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens? Maybe there was infighting within that Rebellion. And by the time we get to The Force Awakens, well, we know that the Resistance isn't necessarily 100% 100 supported by the new republic so there could be factions going on in fighting going on within this new republic and the and the galaxy wasn't at peace within itself and that's what made this book made me think of that because i always think about the empire was destroyed and split up into factions like was suggested in aftermath which is a great book and
0: i'm kidding it's a good
2: book. It's okay. Yeah, I was, um, I was just, no, no. I want to no, give it a little no. bit of love. Well, you sound you like a just...
0: politician there. No. Uh, you, Donald Trump. No. It, it's great. It's good. It's a great it's okay. book.
1: Read it. It's, it was a huge book. It was huge. huge.
2: No. But I, let me get back to something. The thing I really like about this book, you guys were talking about why people join the rebellion and the empire, and it's you know something that they believe in or do it for revenge. What I was getting out of the book, and my favorite part about this book, was... Um, Namir and Chalice, why they were part of the rebellion and why she, originally she was part of the empire. I don't felt, I didn't feel that they were members because they had a belief in a cause and revenge behind them. It was because they needed somebody that wanted them. They needed a purpose in their life. They both came from situations where they had nothing and they were just looking for a home. And if anything, what really hit me about this is how there's characters that serve the Empire and there's characters that serve the Rebellion that are there just because that's where they fell. And that's what Namir is learning in this book is he needs to believe in the cause and not just be there because, well, that's what's giving him a purpose or that's what's giving him food and shelter. And same with Chalice of she's disappointed that she thinks the empire's after her and then when darth vader shows up he could care less about her and then she felt like she wasn't really even appreciated by the empire so they're always trying to find a need and a purpose in this book and i found that really interesting because when i think of star wars and joining the rebellion i think yeah they join the rebellion because they want to fight the empire well there's some that join the rebellion just because they have nothing else better to do
1: well and, and brand speaks to that the character of brand speaks to that as well um, because she's a bounty hunter that was supposed to kill howl and then like she was like no you know there's something to this guy
2: okay yeah they kind of all fell into place but,
1: uh, yeah yeah although i would say that chalice definitely revenge after vader tosses her aside literally um he like that that revenge becomes her thing like and that's what namir sort of like faces her down about. I, I don't want to be too spoilery, but like there is there is a key conversation about her motivation that I think is really uh really good, really well worked out. And I think also, you know, uh really well worked out because Namir doesn't have the answers like it's a very believable sort of conversation where she's prepared for every question he has and he's like yeah that's the right answer but there's something still but like he actually takes time where he's like what is bugging me there's something that I can't quite put my finger on and then when he realizes it it, it, the book doesn't make you feel doesn't make you feel dumb for missing it the book you realize it with him and you're like oh I could see why I could miss that and why he could miss that but I will say congratulations to um, to this book also, and I guess this speaks to the rumors we've heard about Rogue One, where we're going to see Vader, and he's going to be terrifying again, and he's going to be awful. Like, he, that scene on Hoth, where they encounter him, he was down, He that was a frightening scene. Like, you could feel that pit of the stomach sort of thing, where, you're, like, they run in, and, like, he tur- he's coming down the hall, and you're like, oh, oh, no, no, that's bad, no, 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 no. Like, you were actually afraid for the characters at that point, and it's it's thrilling because Vader. They've done it with Rebels, but now they do it here. They're they're really shoring up uh, Vader's ferociousness and his scariness, which has sort of um, been diluted over time because he's become such a, such a like a pop culture icon. Vader is scary again, and I think this book he's definitely scary.
0: Yeah, this again. this is not the Vader that I see at the hyperspace hoopla, doing the you know the the grind or whatever it is that the kids do these I don't know, days. That's kind of scary to see. Yeah, to be this with is you. this is the Vader that reminds me of the Rebels Vader, where we saw him you know lifting off an AT-AT off of himself and then force choking Ezra, telling him it was that an AT-ST, you know wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I think. I think it was an ATST. Yeah.
0: I'm
1: sorry. It's yeah. one of Whatever. them. Whatever. It, one it of was something them. that yeah. should have crushed him to death.
0: Yeah, and uh, and yeah, it, it, that was. But then too, he felt like that maniacal Vader from from you know Episode Five, who is single-mindedly yes. looking for Skywalker, and all he cares about is if you can give me information on him. And he is terrifying. He is the guy who is literally crushing throats. Until he can find, you know, his his son, yeah. and it's it is scary.
1: But but it also speaks to, and I think this ties in with Chalice as well, that it his single mindedness is almost you, not not even almost. You can I I teased out of that that there is a reason that contributes to the fall of the empire is the single mindedness behind vader mm. and even i mean and the not emperor, necessarily even. the emperor yeah.
0: well, i mean well cuz uh, the is I mean, after emperor a him too and he lets he lets vader off the mm. chain you know
1: yeah but but vader is so focused vader should have stopped and thought about who he could capture at hoth and this is the first time probably ever uh, because when I was a kid, it didn't it didn't enter my mind. It's like, oh, Vader's going after Luke and Han and Leia and everything like that. Like, when you really break it down, Vader should have stopped and looked for survivors and high high command people and and at least saved them and said, okay, we're going to take them, we're going to torture them, we're going to find out what's going on. And in the meantime, you take you guys take care of that. Instead, he's just killing people and throwing around like rag dolls and not even thinking long term. Which I guess also speaks to something we've you know teased out about Anakin when we analyzed the movies in the 602 club where v- Anakin's very short-term thinker, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, all that just to say that Vader, Vader's appearance in this is, is I think magnificent, wonderful. And yeah. you know, uh, a great moment. Uh, no, I completely agree with you.
0: I, I, I felt like that scene worked so well. And, and on top of that, I, I felt like it, it worked as well as when Han showed up and they just call him the captain. And, and what he talks to yeah. about Namir uh, about well, you, you need to find a reason to be here beyond just being here. Uh, you need you either need to have a good reason or you just need to go. Because this isn't about just killing you know, the Empire and stormtroopers. It's about way more than that. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was the, the cameos that we do get here are spot on. Well done. It's not overdone. It doesn't. You're not slapping their forehead, going, "Oh, come on!" You know, it it just fits so well, and in 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 the same way that I felt like uh, Lost Stars when it found itself in a scene from the film or one of the films, or you know, right after, or you know, in in between, it it felt like, "Oh, this this just happened off screen. I just didn't see it." You know, this is exactly how I felt with this whole scene especially with Vader uh, you know where the stormtrooper runs in and sir we found the millennium falcon you know and Vader just tosses her aside to go do what we see on screen so it it's it's fantastic um i wanted to ask uh, you guys here because it is really interesting again to to look at this empire this evil empire and you know uh, referencing lost stars it, a lot of people saw the empire as, as being this kind of salvation. And, oh, it's going to get better. You know, the going to take care of everything. You know, <laughs> I guess the same way everybody feels like a socialist regime. Uh, we're, we're saved. Um, until, you know, the empire continues just to squeeze the throat of the galaxy. As all totalitarian regimes do. And I loved the way that that plays out in this book. And you see that, you know, places where the Empire is squeezing, it's going from okay, bad
1: to worse. Yeah, and, and I think also that uh, to sort of tie into that idea, what what is what is brilliant again, and I, I know I, I, I keep going back to this, but the fact that v- Prelate Verge is called Prelate Verge speaks to the idea of the real beauty of underlining Palpatine and the Sith what the Sith are about is that to them power is a religion and that's why in a sense it makes so much sense for Palpatine to have been a politician because power is his game and this whole idea of you you have people in this book where you know they don't want to fight because they remember the Clone Wars and it's all the same anyway and who really cares and why bother fighting and then you have the people that are saying, "No, it's even worse than it was." We have to fight, but you you create this tension that I think ties back into that whole why we fight discussion because I think that the the, the conversations on Solus that we're allowed to quote unquote overhear and you know the sort of roundups and everything speak to the fact that this is a galaxy that is that is tired that doesn't you know they have they had the clone wars and you have people still alive who remember them and to an extent nobody really wants to fight not even the stormtroopers i mean the, the stormtrooper character in this at one point when she when she encounters one of our heroes basically makes a plea to him just tell us what you're going to do everybody's going to die you know like don't just just say just tell us what you're going to do so that people don't have to get hurt like, even she doesn't want to fight. And you, you get that sense of, uh, and uh, Tabor doesn't want to fight. You, you know, eventually over time he warms up to it, he's like, fine, we got to get this job done. But his motivation is to get back to Carida, you know, take care of this, get it done.
0: So he can go back to his
1: tea and
0: right. teaching at the at, academy. At people, yeah.
1: And so I think that speaks a lot to, you know, the the rebellion is fighting against this this just exhaustion that's going on. And Twilight Company even goes through it, where it's like, we're, you know, we've been fighting, non- you know, once they go on their campaign in the back half of the book, everybody's just exhausted. And so nobody can even think. And, you know, I, I just think that's um, that's sort of I think that speaks to why it's so easy for Palpatine to take over initially and then for the galaxy to just sort of keep getting worse Is everybody's just everybody's just tired
2: yeah it's like there's no end to or is this even the right thing that right. we're doing and why are we doing this and is it even making a difference and i think it's just that repetitiveness of you know fighting over and over and over again and there's that wonder of are we even making a dent in this war is there going to be an outcome that is going to be a win can we ever win and yeah it is
0: exhausting
2: now i'm getting exhausted just thinking about it
0: well and it's so interesting because palpatine has done such a masterful job of wagging the tauntaun you know he's created a, (laughs) a a fake war to allow himself to get into power but that that fake war, and once people realize it's a basically a fake war, because he's going to blame it all on the Jedi, he's going to say it was, you know, it was manufactured. It's all their fault. Um, it 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 gives people this malaise of I we 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 just want peace, you know. Uh, and right. Palpatine looks like salvation. This kind of totalitarian regime looks like salvation. Somebody's finally just going to take over and and make us all have peace until they realize no, this is this is not peace at all. This is just being used and abused by a guy who's made himself the emperor. And I think it, it becomes that thing, you know, and it, it, it's so reminiscent of what happened from World War One to World War Two. People didn't want to be in World War II. They did not want this to happen. That's why it took Britain so long to get in. That's why it took America even longer to get in. We did not want to be a part of this. But we realized if there is ever a reason to go to war, or what somebody would call a good war, it's to go to war against a fascist regime like the Empire. And... Yeah. I think that's what's so interesting to watch our our characters, especially in Twilight Company, come down to is that that they're they're learning that that is why they're in this, you know, as they see the, especially the suffering of the people the planets uh, by the end on Solist where they actually stay and face down the empire that if you're gonna win hearts and minds, it's by being a part of the battle with the planets and staying there and making sure they're actually free and not just hit-and-run tactics. And so I think it's just fascinating, this storyline, and how, I mean, what I love is how relevant it is, you know, this idea this of totalitarianism and, and the scariness of it, and that you can never be told this story too many times to keep your eyes open for this kind of thing. And it's just good. It's important. And I think it's one of those things that gives Star Wars that mythic quality because it connects with so much of what we know from history to mythology, putting it all together and creating something that we can actually learn something from, which to me is fascinating. And John, you know, talking about, you know, whether um, this is, you know, better than, than aftermath to me, that's what makes it better is just because of these resonant themes that are connecting Mm. with what you asked in the beginning, Bruce. Is this Star Wars? Yes. You know why? Because it's connecting with those same themes and playing them out in a way that I haven't really seen played out, especially with the Rebellion. And to me, that's fascinating. I did want to ask you guys, because this book is really interesting, because, uh, you know, the episode three starts out that, you know, there are heroes on both sides and evil is everywhere. And this this story is very much about those different groups. You have uh, your your Imperials, you know, Pellet, Verge, and Tabor, and that female stormtrooper that we follow, uh, Thara is her name, I believe. And then, of course, yeah. we've got all of Twilight Company that we're following. And it really is, you know, they're, they're seen as the heroes uh, on both of their respected fronts. And um, what did you end up thinking of the characters that were created for the Star Wars universe? How did how did that end up working for you? And did did you like some better than others, or
2: I liked Roach, the girl that uh, redhead yeah. girl that they found that joined the rebellion with them, and she just kind of had like a, I think I liked her because she was uh, new to the group, and she was you were learning about the group through her, and then she's trying to find her. Her place in there, and she was just seemed uh, I don't know, a bit cocky, and I don't know. I just liked her. She reminded me of an ex girlfriend that I had once. (laughs) Is that your Uh, crazy ex girlfriend, girlfriend, Bruce? Or (laughs) (laughs) I pictured my ex girlfriend as Roach, and actually now I think of my ex girlfriend as a Roach, (laughs) so it's kind of fitting now I think about it. And then of course uh, Gabron, too. He was he was an interesting guy. Yes. With his yes. Uh,
1: four arms. I, yeah.
0: We're now three. Oh, I love besalisks. Anytime there's a basilisk in a story for Star Wars, I'm in because I loved Dex from episode two.
1: Oh, yeah. And I uh, I forget his name, but the Jedi Master on Darkness and Umbara. Oh, was, Krell, uh, that little Yeah, Krell, a, that's the guy. Oh, that
0: guy is awful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's a great, great character, character, but he's so awful.
1: <laughs> more arms, more fun. Uh, I agree with you, though, Bruce. Roach... And, and Gadron, and I think the thing is, uh, uh, again, to speak to the clever naming conventions, um, Roach, being a former drug addict, Roach is, of course, a, a drug reference. Um, like I, I just thought that there were a lot of, uh, of, of clever naming con- conventions, and the one character that typically for me is of a type that I don't gravitate toward is that sort of lone, rough-and-tumble, bounty hunter, loner character, but brand really yes. worked for me. Uh, Brand was really well developed even though in my brain uh, although with less of an accent and more um, expressiveness slash acting ability if I'm watching a movie I pictured her as Grace Jones in View to a Kill that she looked like that to me really head yeah I was picturing her
0: as Gina. Carano who was just in uh Deadpool. In Deadpool, yeah, that's interesting. A, because they talked about but her just being shorter and stockier and like like yeah she was a power pack and could kill you like this. And so that's how I was picturing her as like just maybe a meaner, you know, not quite as good looking version of her because Gina is a beautiful woman.
1: So that's so see that's so that's so interesting though that we can both read the same yeah, book. I love and- that. And and key in on the same character and see them yeah, completely I, differently. I, I, I saw that. another ex-girlfriend. I, I so I Bruce, what is going on with you did and you, the ex-girlfriend? Maybe, maybe you date <laughs> did you date Grace Jones? Is that what you're I telling me, Bruce? Yeah. yeah you well, did. You hear it, you heard it here first in the 602 club. Bruce dated yeah, Grace a, Jones. I want that internet out yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, in a galaxy uh, far, far away. <laughs> mistakes were made. But I do want to say that um I really enjoyed um, the the character of Verge a lot because, again, he really, for me, provided more insight into Kylo Ren and General Hux. And I really liked that. Um, the Stormtrooper character was like I understood her story purpose and I saw what um, what Alexander Freed was trying to do. And to an extent, she served her purpose. There was one key scene where it worked specifically because we would we need the history for the character when she makes her plea. Please just tell us what's going on so nobody has to die. Like, you need the character history for that. But it never quite rose to the level of... She never felt like she she achieved the same level of weight as the other characters. And so it just... I don't know what makes it a missed opportunity. How it could have worked better, um, maybe given her more, more of a presence, or had her tie into the main storyline more in some way. Um, but that—that that was the you know that was one character that didn't quite. Yeah, take it's off almost
2: like they started to tie her when they finally got to that point where it's like, okay, now she's tying into the main story. They took her away again. It's like. It's just like a blip on the screen and I kept waiting for something bigger and and better to happen with her with the main storyline and it just nothing came of it and then it ended with her going back to where she was at the beginning and that was back into her uncle's cantina.
1: Although, you know, I will say that her, I guess her arc and her eventual ending speaks to, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but uh, where they basically say the rebellion's about giving second chances and so maybe, you know. Maybe it ties in that way, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, it just didn't, just didn't quite get
0: there. Yeah, for me, I'm exactly the same. I that storyline, it just falls flat for me. It, it, I I know where it's trying to go. It just it never does enough to make me feel like it was legitimately part of the rest of the story like it always feels like I'm being taken out almost just so we can talk about this female stormtrooper which I love the idea of exploring a female stormtrooper but there was nothing really interesting about her storyline to make me feel like we should take time away from what was happening with twilight uh squad or you know with our the rest of our imperial you know people of uh, Pellet Verge and, and Tabor, who are, are really, I uh, wish we had just spent a little bit more time with and gotten a little bit deeper yeah. into that. Um, yeah, it just doesn't work as well. For me, the character that I really enjoyed was Callus, or Chalice, or however I'm going to say her name. Well, um, I was saying Chalice. Yeah, Chalice is probably it, but I kept seeing it and being like, wouldn't it be awesome if they had spelled it like
1: Callus so they could somehow have been... That, that's okay I, I don't think i ever stopped in my head calling a polite a palena's promise i kept saying uh, in my head i kept saying apollonia's promise yeah yeah, like, yeah that's good Close um enough. but
0: i really thought her character was fascinating uh with the way that especially her relation with namir and there's there's this tension between those two and for a while, I wasn't sure if it was going to be any kind of romantic tension. Thank goodness it wasn't. Because they because they do yeah. do this thing where they begin to move closer and closer together. And then, of course, the way the book ends, they're on different sides, uh, sort of. Um, not I mean, not as much as, as one might think. But it just I, I, I love the tension between those two characters uh, and the way that they played off each other. And, and really... The way that they work so well together, I just thought it was fascinating. So well done, and and the psychology of the characters here for this Star Wars book are is just fascinating to me. Uh, you guys were talking about Roach, and I liked her. There was that scene where she was dancing at the 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 club, you know, on one of the planets, and I immediately thought, oh no, they brought the you know Neymar with them because she's fallen off the wagon. And it wasn't yeah. that, and I was like, "Oh, thank God!" You know, because I was rooting for this character to stay clean because she's been somebody who's addicted to spice, and the rebellion keeps her clean. You know, it changes her life for the better, even though she's in the midst of this horrible war. And I, I love that each of the different characters. It was just so great to see how the rebellion formed and fashioned them a- into something better you know even even chalice becomes a better person throughout this and by the end you're not sure which way she's going to go you know is she gonna go and live her life and be a better person or is she going to use all her knowledge and become somebody who could do really bad things we don't know but it leaves the door open for you to make up your own mind and i just i thought it was really fascinating to see these heroes on both sides and the way in which the war affected them, for for better or for worse. And, um, yeah, John. For me, the uh, the pellet character, I just kept imagining almost Hux as that person, because that's who that character mm. is—just somebody who worships. I mean, you yeah. imagine uh, Hux worshiping at the feet, almost, of Snoke. Like he just he wants to. He he agrees so much with the ideals that he is that crazy Nazi fascist, like that is totally sold out to every ideal that the Fuhrer is giving. It 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 yeah. works perfectly.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I ca you know, to be honest with you, uh there was a time reading this book where I thought we were going to find out that Verge was Snoke before uh the before Force Awakens. It it doesn't Spoiler warning, it doesn't turn out that way. But for the briefest of moments, I was like, could he be Snow? Oh,
2: no, no. Guess That not. would Guess be cool, not. though. That would have been interesting. But, yeah. Hey, so speaking of who you picture, so for Verge, I was thinking of Joffrey from Game of Thrones.
1: Interesting. You know who I actually saw in my head? A very young Keanu Reeves.
0: Ooh, that's an interesting call. Hmm.
1: Yeah, so we have to clone him. Not John Wick Keanu Reeves, who ah. would possibly. That's a great uh, he might have been wow that's he, a great he could have Keanu been somebody right too, yeah, yeah, um no, yeah, just a young like my my own private Idaho Keanu Reeves as verge,
0: you know who I was picturing, and this is funny, we're talking about this, uh, I was picturing Namir as um oh gosh, and i'm I'm blanking on his name, and I feel terrible right now, uh, but the, he he played king Leon- Leonidas in three hundred um. Oh, uh,
1: Gerard, Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler,
0: thank you, yes. Uh, I was picturing him as like that, but not as good looking, but just a very like, this guy mm. is like uber stocky and he's the silent type, <laughs> he doesn't want to talk, but you feel
1: like he would probably kill you just by like, with his pinky. You know who I saw in my head? I saw uh, Alexander Siddig, Dr. Bashir. Mm.
0: Really, that's fascinating. I, I did. That's really interesting.
1: Maybe a little mu- more muscular, mm-hmm. but I I I saw him I, in there. I saw yeah, I Matthew that. rushing.
0: It was
2: really exciting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, what can I say? I mean, with body looks like this. Uh, anyway, okay. I I, wanna, I I'm really interested to get to this. Um, you know, I I I don't want to get to anything else in the book because I think we've done a good job of really not spoiling too much in the book, but actually giving you a good taste of it. And yeah. so I'm, I'm interested to see where you guys uh, place this book on the rating scale. Um, Bruce, for you, where does uh, Battlefront Twilight Company land?
2: Well, I, um, I would say that this book uh, turned out better than what I was expecting. And um, I would say on a scale of five spices that Roach... Uses I would give it four. Four out of five.
1: Interesting. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Gosh. Uh, for me, I'm going to say that uh, I agree with, with Bruce. It turned out a lot better than I thought it was going to. Um, I definitely think that that was also a, a demotivational factor, I guess, for reading it, was I was like, oh, video game tie-in. Ugh. You know, like, I was just sort of like, bleh, even on the idea concept of it and have you um, have you played the video but, game
2: we haven't even addressed that have any of us I haven't I have no,
1: I cost okay. extra right. yeah I
0: I, I just yeah. don't have the system to play Neither. it so
1: yeah yeah I uh, I'm busy spending out on diapers and formula right now but um, I would say that uh, on a scale uh, a five scale all right let's say five Corellian corvettes I'm going to give it um, uh, four and a half Corellian corvettes
0: Wow, that's awesome.
1: Um, yeah, I, re- I really loved it.
0: No, I, I I, can't add anything to what you guys are saying. I mean, I, I didn't go in with any high expectations. Maybe that helps, and I feel like that obviously helps Lost Stars because I had no idea what to expect, and it came in, and that's a five-star book for me. And this one, um, it's not quite as successful as that, especially as we talked about with the Stormtrooper storyline that doesn't quite pan out the way I want it to, but this is a strong book. I give this four out of five Besalisk Arms because this is just a a excellent book to go into Rogue One. You know, we are moving towards that, that Star Wars film that so many questions are, you know, revolving around because nobody's—we've just never seen a film like this, but— You know, with some of the things we saw in the Clone Wars, um, I I think especially is that Umbara arc, the clone arc specifically, this falls right in with that. It feels like Star Wars, and I can't wait now, because of reading this, to see Rogue One. And and I gotta say, you know, taking a video game time and making me feel like it was worth my read, fantastic job. And so... I'm so glad that we sat down and talked about this. I really want to thank the associate producers that we have here on the 602 Club through Patreon. Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. These guys make sure that the 602 Club and the 602 Club Star Wars feed can make, keep coming to you guys. And uh, it's a huge year for us here at Trek FM. We've got the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, and we're celebrating so many different things from Star Trek and beyond with the 602 Club. And if you'd like to help make sure that all that content keeps coming to you, we're a listener-supported network, and that means we need your help to keep this content coming to you. Uh, We want to make sure that we do the best job we can production-wise And try and keep it as ad-free as possible. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team. We've got some great perks that come with different levels. Uh, You can give as much as you can. I mean, even as little as a dollar a month, it it helps make sure that we can keep it coming to you. So just go again to patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, Bruce... I have loved being back in the 602 Club here with you and John again to talk some more Star Wars, and gosh, we're gonna we're gonna have more Star Wars coming for you guys. You know, the Star Wars feed it won't be as big right now as it has been. We got some great books coming up down the line, like uh, Bloodline, and we've got the new Aftermath book coming, in. we're gonna talk a little bit about um, uh, the Clone Wars movie soon, and we'll do some more things for you guys. I've got gosh, Rebel Season Two is gonna come to an end, so we'll talk about that as well. Let everybody know where people can find you online, and uh, so they can talk some more Star Wars with you. So
2: you can find me on Twitter at Admiral Underscore Rex, and I'm doing uh, various things over at Star Wars Report. So go over to Star Wars Report. Dot .com and uh you can find me in July at Star Wars Celebration so I hope to run into some of you there.
0: Wait, you're going to Star Wars Celebration in Europe?
2: I am. I'm going oh, to London. So jealous. Of a gun.
1: So jealous. Yeah, me too. So very jealous. Uh
0: John, uh I don't think Bruce is allowed to be in the 602 club anymore.
1: No, I you know what? He uh <laughs> he's obligated now that he's been in the 602 club. Uh Does he know? And now that he's been on a supplemental, um, and we're going to teach you the the secret handshake, uh, that obligates you to bring us back expensive, wonderful trinkets. That's true. It does actually. I will do that. It's actually. I will do that,
2: except for the expensive part. (laughs) I will bring you back something.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Here's a cocktail napkin. I (laughs) (laughs) have. Just be lucky when you get (laughs) it. It's still a little moist. Be careful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh God! Well, John, where can we find you online?
1: Castle uh, Junkie on Twitter. Uh, I am also on the Trek FM network on commentary Trek Stars with Mike Schindler, um, and I am on a podcast called Words with Nerds with my buddy Craig, where we we go off the rails and we have lots of fun with things. And I'm also on a podcast, Matthew, uh, that you might have heard of called Aggressive Negotiations. What it's a Star Wars podcast. It's a. Uh, yeah, uh, you know what? I bet, Matthew, you could tell the crowd even more about that.
0: Well, I can. Uh, you can find John and I in Aggressive Negotiations. Uh, we pick a topic each week about Star Wars uh, fun, goofy, serious, random, and talk about it, it just as two fans getting together to talk about Star Wars do. Uh, and I think it's really. It's a different type of Star Wars podcast, uh, you know, and we love doing it together. Obviously, we love Star Wars, so we hope you'll join us over there. You can check everything out at TheNerdParty.com, dot and we're also on Twitter at the Jedi Masters. Um, personally, you can find me on Twitter at mattrushing 2 You can also find me doing the Orb here on the network Trek FM with Christopher Jones, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine, and I also do literary tracks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek and interview the authors it's a great show i hope you'll check it out and i want to thank everyone for joining us and may the force be with you